0: Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. You can find us on the web at wwwgihanpereracom forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A acom You can subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues or leave comments for us. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. So, hi, Chris.
1: I'm going well. How are you, Gihan?
0: Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. We've got a couple of things we've got about today. One is a little bit of a follow-up from our last podcast, Wikipedia, and that was the focus of our podcast. We were talking about the Wikiscanner, which is a website where you can actually look at what people have been editing. And uh, there's a couple of news stories that came out about that. And since then, in the last couple of weeks, there have been a couple of others. Do you want to talk about that briefly, Chris?
1: Yeah, that's right, Gihan. So, um... The original article that you brought to my attention is one in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, just talking about some of the uh, Australian um, edits on Wikipedia that were discovered using Wikiscanner. And since then, there's been a, a lot more coverage in Australia and worldwide about Wikiscanner. And something that was a, a little bit amusing was um, that on... The ABC Television's Media Watch program—they uh, they looked at uh, the Sydney Morning Herald article, but they noticed that one thing that uh, Sydney Morning Herald forgot to mention was the number of edits to Wikipedia that uh, were made by the that were made by uh, people from within the Fairfax Media Group who own Sydney Morning Herald, and some of those mm-hmm. there were quite a lot more than uh, say the Prime Minister's office or any of the governmental ones that they uh, that they. Exposed or uncovered, and some of them were pretty dodgy. So um, yeah, it was kind of funny to, for Sydney Morning Herald to get a, to get a bit of a comeback uh,
0: from their from their coverage of Wikipedia. Which is interesting. Like we were talking before we started about the whole idea that this is, is such a simple tool, and it now gives everyone access. And we were talking about Sydney Morning Herald and media Watch, but you or I could have done that same research about the Sydney Morning Herald, couldn't we? And and published that story in, in a blog. That's right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I think it was um, Channel Nine, MSN, who um, who went and and looked at uh, the Fairfax um, Fairfax Media Group and what they've been um, up to on Wikipedia. Uh, but they were careful, Nine MSN, to also disclose their their own edits to uh, Wikipedia, so that uh, someone
0: couldn't turn around and find. That's around. right. And you know, the the thing is that just editing wiki pages is not a bad thing. In fact, even editing your own Wikipedia page isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just depends what sort of edits you've made. In fact, some of the things reported in that original article I thought were fairly benign edits made to perhaps restore the balance in some of the articles which had been a bit critical about the government. But... Restoring the balance by taking out things which were obviously not factual or even providing links to things that were factual just to add evidence rather than necessarily delete stuff that they didn't want people to, to know about. So the other thing that you and I both spoke about, Chris, was the the idea that this is such a simple tool. Exactly,
1: yeah. I mean... Wikipedia's there, all of the edit history is available and um, IP to location that's the database that uh Virgil Griffiths to who, who built WikiScanner. It's a database that maps IP numbers to the companies who've registered them. That database is available, I think it's a few hundred dollars. So yeah, you put together the edit history from Wikipedia and IP to location, write a really simple tool that anyone with a bit of computer science background could have done, pop it up on a web page and away you go. So really, there was nothing technically difficult about what Virgil Griffiths has, has done, but what was astounding is the, is the leverage that um, that he's created by, by just putting together, combining those simple simple databases with a simple tool.
0: Yeah, and I guess for me, there, there are two things that really stand out from that. One is the whole idea of your privacy now. And you know, from, you know, passionate about message management, Chris, And one of the things is that you've just got to be careful. You've got to be careful that you, you might be going... Around the world, editing editing out things about yourself that you don't like people to to see or read, but you don't know who's got access to the information that shows that you've done that. So you leave a you leave an electronic trail that's very hard to hide nowadays.
1: That's right. Um. Yeah. Exactly. And Jimmy Wales, the the uh, the Wikipedia co-founder, his comment on Wikiscanner is that uh, it brings a, another level of transparency to Wikipedia, and. You know that's that's one of the great things about WikiScanner, and and it uh, exemplifies the point you've just made about um, your your trail through uh, the
0: internet. Yeah, and and I guess the other thing that I that I'm really fascinated by is this is just another example of the world now being a this is Web 2.0, is an example of the world being about community, not about authorities, not just about big companies with a lot of money who can have their say. It's anybody, anybody who's got an interest in a small niche area can use a tool like Wikiscanner to find out what the people in that area are saying. But it's the it's the David versus Goliath, like David has now got a better slingshot.
1: That's that's exactly right, isn't it, Kihan? That's That's what we were saying. The tool, Wikiscanner itself, is not complex at all. What it's done is it's facilitated The internet community, you know, if someone's interested in what uh, Pepsi-Cola have been up to or what uh, the Prime Minister's office has been up to, they can go to Wikiscanner and really easily dig deep into Wikipedia and find out what's been going on in that little
0: niche. Mm, It's part of the people all over again. Yeah. Which actually leads us on to a topic for, for this podcast, because again, we're going to be talking about tools that people are using to get their message out there now, and maybe we're talking about the ways that they're not using it very well. So, Chris, you were talking to me a couple of weeks ago about the whole idea of YouTube and how political parties are starting to use tools like YouTube and Facebook and some of these new media tools as ways to to campaign. Um, and we we must be pretty close to an Australian federal election at the moment, so it's a topic that's go- that's warm at the moment. It's definitely going to be hotting up very soon.
1: That's right, yeah. We're, we're um, waiting for the announcement of uh, the federal election in Australia and um, there's been a lot of campaigning already even though the date of the election hasn't been, hasn't been formally announced um, and this time round, this election round in particular, uh, Australian politicians have started to use the internet, for better or worse, as a means of campaigning. Uh, for the election.
0: And I guess the lead into that is something I saw just a few days ago, Chris, in the papers that it was talking about the importance of the internet as a campaigning tool because in Australia we have a 72 hour blackout before election day on political parties advertising through the traditional media, through newspapers and TV, but there is no such ban on right. advertising through the internet. So that would be an area where right. there will be advertising on Facebook, um, perhaps taking out ads on Google, and being able to get their, their name and their face and their message out there all the way up up until election day and maybe on election day itself.
1: Right, so I wasn't aware of that. I guess it's a matter of uh, the
0: legislation not having caught up with the technology. I, I think that's exactly what it is. Uh, in the same way as they're allowed to still go around handing out leaflets, there's nothing that says you can't use the internet.
1: Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, well, one of the uh, the big news items in in with regard to using the internet as a, a campaign platform was uh, the Prime Minister's foray onto YouTube, which was... Um, well, sometime last month, wasn't it a a, uh, a video that was uploaded announcing the prime minister's um,
0: climate change initiatives? Mm. And well, let's let's talk about yes. this because I think both both you and I are, were quite critical. Like, regardless of our political beliefs, we're quite critical of the way that the, the government tried to. Get cool and start using YouTube, but they didn't really do it very well. And we might talk about that. And then an example of Frito Lay, which is a company that did do it very well.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's right. So I think the the point that the that the the government were trying to to make there there was there were two points, weren't there? First, there was a lot of criticism about John Howard having been around for so long, being old and past it and not with it, and also the government's credentials on climate change and the environment were also um, under attack. And so I think they wanted to try and demonstrate that uh, they were with it and they were, they did know how to make use of new technology and also get across the message that they did have a strategy for dealing with climate change. But um, as we were discussing, I think both of those objectives were pretty much
0: failures. Yeah, and it's because they, it's almost like they would have even better off not doing it. They actually harm their credibility by doing it that way than by... And I, by the way, I should say, like when we say they, it's not like John Howard was sitting at his computer and posting a YouTube video. Anything that happens, whether it's John Howard or like Kevin Rudd has got personal Facebook entry, but I'm sure it's not him sitting at his computer doing that. It is, of course, his office doing <laughs> it for him. Um, so I guess that's one of the things that it's, that a lot of this Web 2.0, the, the new tools, the technology and the culture is about individuals sitting at their computers and actually making a difference. Whereas when corporations and organizations like governments try to get involved, they tend to still get mired by the bureaucracy doing it for them.
1: Yeah. Well, so let's, let's discuss what we think wasn't done so mm. well with this particular example and then we can go on to cite a, a much better example. So, in the case of this, uh, the Prime Minister's climate change initiatives up on YouTube, one of the first problems, I think, was that I immediately went to YouTube, once I, I'd heard about it, and typed you, uh, John Howard into the search bar and came up with heaps of responses, but all of the top hits were um, pretty much uh, a load of videos satirising or just lambasting John Howard. So it took me a long time to actually find uh, his message, And in the meantime, I'd gone through a lot of videos which were highly critical or making fun of him. So I think that uh, detracted from his... Firstly, I couldn't find the message, and uh, in in finding it, I found a lot of critical content. Then when I got there, I eventually found it. They'd made the mistake, in my opinion, of allowing people to add their comments because all, pretty much, you know, 90% of the comments that were left on the video were extremely negative mm. they really um you know were just slandering him pretty much um so much so that uh, ultimately they did turn them off and they were deleting them every night uh, you go back the next day because i'm quite interested in following this they became um they, they were deleting them and then there'd be thousands more that next day and then they would delete them and, and and the same thing happened until eventually they turned commenting off and also they allowed uh, response videos, and people could rate them. So the rating for that particular video clip from the Prime Minister was um, was particularly low. And I don't think anyone really got the message that he was trying to deliver. There was no... Uh, I don't think anyone remembers the message, just that there was a rather dismal video put onto YouTube by John Howard.
0: Mm. And it's interesting, because some of the things you're talking about, like leaving commenting, allowing comments, allowing ratings, allowing responses, are things that I would recommend to clients and to people in general to leave those things on but you've got to be careful and do it in context and in fact I would say leave it on but if you have a problem with that, turn them off soon, sooner rather than later and it seems like they didn't do that at all.
1: That's right, it, it was a long time before that they did, eventually they um, removed the capacity to comment but you know, while the, while the video was still hot and fresh and, and was getting a lot of traffic, um, any traffic that arrived there would have seen a stream of anti Howard vitriol, so I don't think that was to their advantage to leave commenting on for so long, and you know I, I think well, I know that subsequently they've they've put other videos um, to the uh, for that particular user. I think it's John Howard two thousand and seven, and they've you know they've they've learned from that mistake and you can't comment from from the, the point that the uh, the video is launched. Mm.
0: And I think the other point you made is really interesting, Chris, and it's a really important one. That it took you a long time to find it, and the trail that that, that led you to it was uh, put in the put in a very negative mindset or uh, set a very negative frame before you even got to the the supposedly positive message. It's it's like reading an ad in a newspaper, but the ads on page twenty and the first nineteen pages have parodies or satires or criticisms before you get to, of the product before you get to it.
1: Yeah, and and finally, the, the video itself was rather... You know, it didn't... It was just a, a two-camera piece with John Howard reading out the transcript uh, describing the new policy. Uh, it wasn't really... I, I think if it was supposed to be targeting young people, um, then it really would have... They would have said, well, you know, I can see this kind of boring stuff on the TV news every night sort of thing. So, again, the content as well as... As as finding it on YouTube were were really lacking in this example.
0: Yeah, I guess that's it. That they, they completely missed the market and they just did it for the just to tick the box that said, okay, we're now on YouTube. <laughs> yes, for better or worse. <laughs> it was for worse. <laughs> so let's walk. Well, let's not. We'll come back to what the, what could they have done. Let's look at the other side of the coin, uh, which is a company that did it really well. So, okay. do you want to talk about the Frito Lay one, or do you want me to talk about that? Well, that's one that I haven't
1: haven't had a look at yet, Kihan, So you're the best person to talk about it.
0: Sure. This is it's an interesting thing that happened. This happened around about September last year, so about a year ago. Frito Lay, which makes the Doritos chips, decided that um, they, they were going to take out some advertising for the Super Bowl. And Super Bowl ads are incredibly expensive, like multi-million dollars mm. now, for a thirty-second spot. Um, for for one ad, and in the past they've used advertising agencies to create those ads. And of course, some of them have been very clever, some of them have been very artistic, and some of them actually have, have actually sold products. <laughs> um, but that doesn't always be that hasn't always been the case. Like sometimes ad agencies fall over themselves to create um, industry award-winning ads, but not necessarily consumer award-winning ads. In other words, consumers don't go out and yes. buy. So. For whatever reason, Frito Lay decided to do it differently for this year's Super Bowl, for the 2007 one. They started a competition where they opened it up to consumers. They said anybody could create a 30-second shot, and they would post. They had to post it up on YouTube, and then they would just choose the best one, and that would air during the Super Bowl. So they took a huge risk. Took a huge risk because they were. Um, they were really opening it up to amateurs, and they made a commitment that they would do that. And so for, for a couple of months, I think October and November last year, people had the chance to create the ads, put them up on YouTube, or I'm not sure if it was YouTube or Yahoo Video, but one of the free video services like YouTube, and um, yep. do, do what they liked. So they had a complete creative license to do whatever they liked, and then Frito-Lay management would pick one of the ads for the Super Bowl like if you talk about the mistakes that the federal Australian government made with the John Howard's campaign on YouTube, I think this is a contrast because it shows the exact opposite. For first of all, they were aiming at the right market. So they were going for young people who were the, the ideal target market for Frito-Lay. They were aiming at viral, they were using viral marketing because people, it, it would generate a buzz. People would talk about the fact that they could create an ad for that would appear on the Super Bowl. Um, It created a competitive environment. It created that whole idea that somebody could create an ad that somebody else would post a comment saying, that's not bad, but mine's so much better. And it it really tapped into that whole idea of um, the whole Web 2.0 idea of community. Uh, And it worked really well, and that's what they did. They aired one of the ads during the Super Bowl. But I think more than the value of the ad, the millions of dollars... That they spent for the Super Bowl ad would have been recouped many more times by the viral marketing campaign, and the, the brand recognition of Frito Lay doing something cool for for its customers, who for whom cool is good.
1: That's right. That's as you as you said earlier. It's that Web 2.0 um, aspect of, of that campaign that really works for them. Uh, so one wonders: could uh, could s- uh, similar concept? applied with regard to, not a product, but rather to political messages.
0: Well, you you talked about one. There was a, I forget the name now, Chris, but we talked about this uh, this political group which is doing, which is active on the web.
1: That's right. It's, again, it's an Australian political, I guess they're a grassroots organisation called GetUp, and they um, launched a, a, pro, a campaign called Oz um, in 30 Seconds, which followed the same same model as the Frit of LA um, campaign that you just described. So they invited um, people to submit videos politi- with a political message uh, to uh, their their Aussie in 30 Seconds website, and they were uploaded to Google. And then after a period of um, you know a period where people could do the uploading, then they asked the uh, their sort of mailing list to vote. So. You could you were shown a selection of the videos and you could vote you could rate them out of ten and then um, that narrowed down uh, a short list and then they had some celebrity um, celebrity and political uh, panelists choose the the winning video and I understand that um, that will be aired once the election is announced it'll become part of uh, the political campaign um, when when we know the election is going to be held <clears throat> Why did it work yeah. again? For the same reasons that the the Frito LA one worked, it was it was viral. And, you know, people heard about it. Uh, firstly, they had a big mailing list, so they they had a, a, a user base that they could go to to invite people to submit videos, and they had an audience of of uh, of um, Australians who could actually go and judge and and vote on those videos.
0: Yeah, and I think the whole idea that the thing that you mentioned that they already had a mailing list means that they were already They'd already embraced the concept before they started posting their first idea up there. They'd already embraced the concept of using the internet as a communication tool. And maybe that's the mistake that the federal government made, that their first foray into it was this, and they made a big splash about it, but they didn't really understand how it worked, and therefore they were lampooned rather than being praised for it. That's right, yeah.
1: And one one could imagine, I'm sure that there's a, that the Liberal Party has a mailing list of its members, and and it, there'd be nothing to stop them from from engaging in the same kind of um, marketing exercise as GetUp and as frito Lay and as uh, various other organisations have done in order to try and get their membership involved in um, involved in the process of um, of developing their campaigns.
0: Yeah, but I think it comes down to this idea of just. Being willing to embrace it, a a, a kind of related story, is that John Howard didn't put up a MySpace page for John Howard Mm -hmm. because, and like his stated reason was because he didn't feel that he should be supporting a commercial organisation. So the Liberal Party of Australia has a MySpace page, but John Howard doesn't have one himself. And again, like whether you think that's right or wrong, it just indicates to me that it's, it's just an indication that the Liberal Party or John Howard or... His mind, as a whoever, isn't serious about embracing the internet as a, as doing it seriously. They're just giving, they're just doing the window dressing, but not really getting into it. Yeah.
1: Yes, I think it's going to be an interesting time once the election is announced, just to see how the internet is used, whether they're going to improve upon these first stumbling steps. Um, and just see what comes out. I'm particularly interested in what was going to happen in the last forty-eight hours of blackout.
0: Yes. <laughs> we'll get a lot of spam. Yeah, that's right. Which um, and you know the anti-spam laws in Australia just don't apply to political parties.
1: That's right, as well as the um, the um, do-not-call list.
0: That's right, or the and the Privacy Act and all of those things. Political parties are exempt, so it'll be really interesting. This is probably the first the first time that the federal election will be fought so strongly on the internet. Yes, interesting times ahead be yeah. you. Absolutely. So we'll uh, We'll probably have another podcast sometime later about uh, when, when the election's called, talking about what's happening and maybe a follow-up about what's happening and our, our commentary on it. Um, but in the meantime, what would you suggest for people who are thinking of doing things like this, Chris? Like this maybe even small businesses or individuals who want to start using things like YouTube, would have you got any suggestions
1: yeah I, again it's the same sort of message that we've we've closed most of our podcasts with and that is it's really a fairly simple thing to do just get get some video do read, read something out or, or, or make a, a snappy little video and it's really easy to upload it to to YouTube and inv- make sure you choose some sensible keywords that you associate with your video. If you've got a website that you want people to go to, place a watermark on your on your own video that you upload so that uh, that's given some profile. But again, give it a go. I think um, you know, I- embrace it as you've said, um, and you might make a few mistakes like John Howard does, but has. But uh, you never know your luck.
0: <laughs> that's right. I think my message would be to embrace it first. So you start small, so you can start with a little video and set it out to a small mailing list. And if you if you've got some big ideas you've really got to know this stuff. I I say to my clients over and over again, this is something you can't outsource. You can eventually, but it's hard to do it initially. Initially, you've got to understand it, and the only way you can understand it is by immersing yourself and experiencing it. So if you're not willing to do that, you're almost better off not doing it at all. Um, So I highly recommend you do it, but start small, as you said. It's easy to do, but if you don't take the baby steps, don't You've got to earn the right. Don't assume that people are going to love what you do straight away because you'll stick out like a sore thumb. So thanks, Chris. Great. We will be back in a couple Thank of you, weeks' Gihan. time. And uh, we'll be talking about something new. Will do. Good to talk. Bye, Gihan. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast that's g-i-h-a-n p-e-r-e-r-a dot com subscribe to the podcast listen to all our past issues or leave us your comments and questions we look forward to having you back next time